You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a new sermon series entitled No Room for Mild Approval. And I acknowledge uh, that many of you may have missed last week or the week before because of fall breaks. Uh, surprisingly enough, you know, even as I schedule out a sermon series, it's kind of hard to pick the right time to do things. And today's kind of the fall break that hits us the most. Knox County and UT schools are out. So as we kind of get close to wrapping this series up, um, I'm going to remind, actually, I'm going to catch some of you up on what you missed the last couple weeks. And then in addition to that, I might have to remind some of you what you've forgotten in the last couple weeks. People sometimes ask me, okay, hey, Tim, on what you said last Sunday, and I'm like, don't talk to me about last Sunday. It's out of my mind. I've forgotten already. Um, so I'm reminding you and me what we've talked about for the first two weeks of this series. The series has been built around a quote, a quote that I read this summer by C.S. Lewis in a book entitled God in the Dock. C.S. Lewis says, Jesus was never regarded as just a mere mortal teacher. He did not produce that effect on any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. And hence the series, No Room for Mild Approval. Week, week one, we discussed the issue called the way of Jesus. In other words, what is Christianity all about? Like this way of Jesus. And week one, we looked at Mark 1. And we examined what Jesus and Christianity were all about. Number one, it's about a person. Mark chapter 1, it says, this is about the Son of God, the Messiah. Meaning on behalf of the way of Jesus, Christianity, it's all about a person, meaning it's biographical. Other religions, they start different places, but the way of Jesus starts with a person, Jesus. It's about a person. It's also about real time and space, meaning it's not just biographical, it's historical. It didn't start with once upon a time in a land far, far away. No, it's real, real dates, real places, real people. So it's about a person, meaning it's biographical, real time and space, it's historical. It's about a larger conversation. Meaning, as we read the story, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus in the second half of our Bible, it's the second part of a conversation that took place after the Old Testament. It's prophetical. The Old Testament is speaking that one day the Messiah will come, the promised one will come, and he will make all of this right and establish his kingdom. So the message of Jesus, the way of Jesus, is about a larger conversation. And then finally we said that the message of Jesus, it's about your inner life. It's not about the outside, like rituals, routine, religion. No, it's about the inward you. And at the end of that week, we asked the question, what would it look like for you to take one more step toward Jesus? That was the way of Jesus, week one. Week two was last week. We looked at the depth of Jesus. And I made it clear at the beginning of the message that this sermon series, these weeks together, I have an agenda, very specific agenda. And right out of the gate, I didn't want to hide it. I just wanted to let you know up front my agenda, what's behind the curtain, is that those considering the way of Jesus would take a step of faith in the direction of Jesus. But in order for that to become a reality, you need to know more about Jesus. So we took a deep dive into the depth of Jesus. Last week we examined, we examined the dimensions of Jesus' life on behalf of his life and ministry and what makes him different from everyone else. Specifically, last week, we looked at four things. Number one, what he teaches. 
In the gospel accounts, we see Jesus teaches truth. Why did he teach truth? He taught truth about God, who God is, how much God loves. He taught truth to clear up the confusion because there were all types of theories about God. Like in the first century, people thought, okay, if you're rich, you're blessed by God. If you're poor, you're cursed by God. If you're sick, your parents sinned, and God only loves the Jew. Jesus steps into the story to clear up the confusion. And so what he teaches is vitally important. It's truth. We looked at why he healed. We're in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, there's a man that's lowered down, and, and Jesus physically heals the man. We find out in Scripture the reason he healed, everybody's floored by his healings, the miraculous occurrences that Jesus performs. The reason he heals is to validate his teaching. Like if a guy resurrects a man from the dead, John 11, Lazarus, everybody's going to say, man, whatever this guy's talking about, I'm with him, right? So why he heals to validate his teaching. But then last week we looked at Mark 2 and we saw how he forgives. So the man that's healed, think about this, the crippled man that's lowered into the house by his friends. And Jesus says, your, sons are, your sins are forgiven when he saw the faith of the men. The crowd's bothered because only God can forgive sins. So Jesus says, all right, since you don't think I can do this, and you think the whole concept of forgiveness is invisible, to show you that I can do the invisible and forgive his sins, I'll do what's visible. I'll heal the man. And so we saw last week how Jesus forgives. And all through the gospel accounts, he's forgiving people, which put all those four together, what he teaches, why he heals, how he forgives. It's Jesus is God. And we closed last week's message with this observation. <laughs> Claiming to be God is easy. Backing it up, next level. And even though I've attempted for the last couple of weeks to make the way of Jesus, meaning the unique, unique claims of Christianity and the depth of Jesus, what separates Jesus from every other human being, even though I've attempted to make that crystal clear, I recognize that many in this room, many that aren't in this room, friends of yours, have obstacles. And that's why many of you think that my attempt to communicate this, my goal for you to take steps into the direction of Jesus, that's why some of you think it's naive and... Um, it's too much. You might think it's unrealistic. Meaning, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room today, you've got a reason, an obstacle. And your reason or obstacle is legit because it's real to you. Meaning, if we were around a dinner table together and you and I had a conversation, you'd make statements like this Tim, look at all the stuff going on in the world. There's so much suffering. I can't follow Jesus because I can't coincide this idea of suffering. And I would say to you, that's legit. That's a Genuine struggle, I understand. Some of you might say, I I've known too many Christians, Tim. Why would I want to become one? I've got my life better together than they do. And I'm not a believer. And I get it. That's a legit struggle for so many people. I'm not asking you to ignore it. Others might say, I was raised in a completely different religious tradition. And Christians think they're the only ones that are right. Understand, I get that. It's a legit struggle. It's something that you're going to have to confront head on. Others might say this, Tim, I'm starting to believe but the people that I love didn't, and they're gone. Tim, if I embrace Jesus, I'm admitting the people that I love were wrong, and I don't know if I can handle that. That's a legit struggle for you. It's an obstacle. It's, it's true. Some might say, well, Tim, the whole notion of someone paying for my sin, I don't buy it. Or how about the sins of the world? Tim, it's just hard to handle that. I can't wrap my head around it. I want to say I understand why that's difficult. I've got friends that make this statement. Truth be told, I think it's the vast majority of statements. I don't really care. 
Tim's not that big a deal. The reason I'm not a follower of Jesus, the same reason you're not an astronaut, same reason you don't stand on one leg all day, it's no big deal. I'm not that interested. And those are all, I'm going to tell you, they're all legit. People have those struggles. I'm not telling you to ignore them. I'm not telling you to disregard them. But I do want you to know this. On behalf of your obstacles, there's an observation that we've made over the years, and that is this. Very few adults embrace the way of Jesus after they've removed all their obstacles. Meaning, what typically happens, more often than not, is something happens in their life. Maybe it's a tragedy. Maybe it's a crisis. Maybe it's a death. Maybe... They start attending church. Maybe they get involved in a group and they meet other ladies. They meet other guys. And all of a sudden they're confronted. They're face on with truth. And the questions they've got, they're still there. They're not gone. But they get smaller. They shrink. When you encounter Jesus, like those struggles, those obstacles become less significant. And for some, sometimes they go away. And some of you have a problem with me sharing this because you might think, Tim, that is intellectually dishonest. Tim, I simply can't ignore the obstacles. They're too real. They loom large. I've carried these struggles, these obstacles with me for years. As a matter of fact, the longer I carry them, the more questions I have. And Tim, I just can't put them to the side. On behalf of that, for a few minutes, I would like to talk about obstacles on behalf of other areas of life. So stay with me in a way that maybe you've not realized it before because as smart as you are, as intellectually astute as some are, as confident as we are in making decisions, almost all of us in this room in some way have allowed obstacles to shrink in light of embracing something in life that's much more significant. So let me give you some examples. First, I want to talk to the married men in this room. If you will, for a second, I want you to think back to life before marriage. Do you remember any legit reasons that you didn't want to get married? Any valid obstacles that just were like concerns and you're like, I'm just not sure I should do it. By the way, if you're single in this room, single guys, these might be legit obstacles that you're dealing with right now. Uh, let me tell you some that, that I went through. Number one, I, I don't want to lose my freedom. Like there's something about like Saturdays, I got flexibility. Fridays, I got flexibility. If I get married, I'm just going to have to permission, ask permission on all these things and make sure we're on the same page. How about this? I'm afraid of making a lifelong commitment. I mean, lifelong commitment. That's a long time. Or how about this? I don't have enough money. Like, like, I'm not established yet. I, I'm not sure I can afford this. Or how about this one? How do I know she's the one? Like, what if during our engagement process, let's say it's a six-month time frame, what if I meet someone else and she's actually the one? That's a legit obstacle, a valid reason, right? How about this? I know too many unhappily married couples. I don't want to be one. I, I'd rather be lonely and single than happy or sorry, then miserable and married, right? That, that, that jumps in our brain. How about this? So many marriages end in divorce. I don't want to be another stat. Or this, I'm too young. 
Like maybe, maybe I should wait till I'm older in life to make sure I'm making the best decision. Or this one, I need to get my career established. I should have a firm foundation before I say I do. Or how about this? What if she changes? Like the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 15 years. What if all of a sudden I'm in a house with someone that I'm married to and they're not the person that I married? Those are all legit, valid concerns that every guy in this room probably struggles with in some form or fashion before marriage. Let me press in with you and give you some clarity. Do you know how many of those obstacles I worked through before I got married? None. Do you know why? Because I met Jen and I fell in love. And over time, like, I realized that before Jen, marriage was a category. Like, I had all these reasons with categories. But when I met Jen and got to know Jen, it moved from a category to an encounter. And on behalf of this, understand, like, I knew there still was going to be maybe a little less freedom, but it didn't matter because it was Jen. I, I realized that, that maybe I wouldn't have enough money, but it didn't matter because we could make this. I, I realized, oh, oh, what about this lifelong commitment? None of that really mattered. And if it did, as I carried it into marriage, slowly those obstacles started to shrink. Because when I met Jen and as I got to know Jen, the whole concept of marriage moved from category to an encounter. And my obstacles, periodically, questions, they still are there. They're just not as significant. Um, how about to the moms in the room? Let me talk to you for a minute. Think back, if you can, to life before motherhood, before your first child. Do you remember some of your thoughts about having a baby? How about this? It's dangerous. Legit. Valid. I understand. How about this? What my body's going to go through, all the changes. Like, it'll never be the same. My mind. Like, it's going to go different. How about this? The pain during the labor. If I was a lady, that would be top for me, all right? How about this one? There is a side of you that is never going to be the same again. That just comes into your brain. This does too. The cost to have one. How about this? The cost to raise one. How about this? The kind of world you'll have to raise a child in. All obstacles. All valid. All legit. I understand. And for some of you women in the room who really want a baby, but haven't been able to, may not be able to because of infertility, because of a miscarriage for a loss, or a loss. Isn't it amazing what you would be willing to do with even all those obstacles just to have a child? They're all legit. But on behalf of motherhood, when you first held your child, moms, motherhood moved from a category to an encounter. Guess what? Even with marriage, even with motherhood, the obstacles are still there. They just get smaller. They pale in comparison to what they once were. They're not as significant. You carry them with you. Concerning today's message, let's get back on topic. The point of today's message is not, don't worry about your obstacles to following Jesus. 
I think you need to consider the cost. The Bible says so. If your obstacle is a big deal to you, then it's a big deal. Keep the obstacles in mind. Keep asking questions and be honest. But I want you to understand this on behalf of other Christians. Followers of Jesus are not naive. And they have not lost their mind. Put simpler, they encountered Jesus. And they fell in love. And slowly, the concept, the category of God turned to an encounter, to an actual person. And those obstacles, sometimes like they're still there. Sometimes they go away, but they get smaller. They're less significant. And periodically, they raise their ugly head and they still loom large, even for Christians. Can I show you how this plays out in the Bible? Like I could take you to so many different stories where this plays out. But for the sake of time, I want to take you to a brief example. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 43. Let me tell you the context or the backstory. Jesus is gathering all his guys into the inner circle, meaning he's collecting the 12. He's selecting them out, finding which ones are there. He hasn't gotten to 12 yet. In this section of scripture, he's starting to add one more. So here's what happens. John 1, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to Philip, follow me. Now let me tell you what's happened. Philip has watched Jesus and listened to Jesus teach long enough to decide, if he's asking me to be in the inner circle, I'm all in. Verse 44, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Because earlier in the passage, Andrew and Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter had done the same thing to follow Jesus. They just happened to be from the same town, so all this stuff is starting to flourish. Now, here's where momentum climbs. Verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel. Now, Philip and Nathaniel, you discover, are longtime friends. And what's crazy is, I can't help but laugh about this. Even though Jesus is the one inviting people into his inner circle, Philip is so excited, he decides to do the same thing for Jesus. Like, hey, I want you in on Jesus' inner circle. So this is what takes place. Here's what Philip says. Verse 45 continues. He tells Nathanael, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the prophets, about whom all the the prophets also wrote. Meaning, okay, think back to what we talked about in week one. Philip is telling Nathanael, hey, on behalf of the way of Christianity, we've found the one. Meaning it's, it's all about a person. It's biographical. And then he says this. The one about Moses, the Moses wrote about in the law, meaning it's part of a larger story. There's real time and real space and real events. Like he's telling Nathaniel, the thing that we have waited for on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, we found him. Get ready. And Nathaniel's thinking, like some of us, yeah, right, I'm sure. And then Philip elaborates and says something that is especially hard for Nathaniel to embrace. As a matter of fact, it's Nathaniel's obstacle. Verse 45, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Here we go. Philip says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is where Nathaniel's like many of us in this room. He's a little bit skeptical. He's got questions, he's got struggles, he's got doubts. You've heard of doubting Thomas. This is intellectually honest Nathaniel. I have utmost respect for him. Listen to Nathaniel's obstacle. Nazareth. 
Can anything good come from there? Not impressed. That's a hole in the wall. That place has a bad reputation. Meaning, if it were you and I, and someone came to us with this information, and they said they found the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that we've waited on for hundreds of years, it's like they would tell us he's got a roll tide shirt on, right? It's like, doubt it. I very seriously doubt this. This is what's happening with Nathaniel. He's like struggling. I just don't think anything good comes from Nazareth. Bad reputation. In other words, he's saying this, Nazareth, no chance. Jerusalem, maybe. Now listen carefully. At this point, guess what Philip could have done? He could have said, hey, but let's sit down. We need to have a conversation. Seems to me like your obstacle is Nazareth. Let's talk about Nazareth. Uh, let's talk about when it was founded. Let's talk about the mayor. Let, let, let's look at the layout. Uh, let's begin to talk about other people that came from there that actually did have a good reputation. And I want to press in to make sure everything is okay on behalf of your obstacle, you and Nazareth. Now, if you were a fly on the wall and you and I were watching this unfold, we could see this dialogue go on. And if it played out that way, which I'm glad it didn't, that conversation could go a long time, like throughout the entire day. But guess what? Think about this. Even if Philip convinced Nathaniel, it's possible that the Son of God is in Nazareth. Nathaniel wouldn't be any closer to meeting Jesus. Meaning the concept of God would still be a category, even though he had a question answered. And thankfully, interestingly enough, Philip doesn't say, well, let's talk about Nazareth. Do you remember the observation I made at the beginning of this message and I made last week? Let me remind you, because you're about to see it. Very few adults embrace the way of Jesus after they've removed all their obstacles. Instead, they take them with them. So listen to what Philip tells Nathaniel. Come and see. Come and see. To which Nathaniel could have easily replied, but instead, let's talk about Nazareth. And Philip pressed in, no, we don't have to talk about Nazareth. Come on, I just want you to meet him. To which he said, but I have tons of questions. He said, I know, so do I. So bring them with you. And I love the next verse. Jesus delights in your and my and our intellectual honesty. Look at what Jesus says on behalf of Nathaniel as Philip brings him to Jesus. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here, truly, is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I love the message paraphrase. It says, there's not a false bone in this guy's body. Meaning, he's not pretending. Jesus says, blessed is he. He's not a phony. He's not a fake. He's honest to himself and he's honest to everyone else. And what's crazy is when Jesus says what's in verse 47... He says it out loud while Nathanael is walking up. Philip is watching wide-eyed and Nathanael's wondering. Nathanael's response, how do you know me? This is a significant question. Because a few minutes earlier, Nathanael could say, you were just an idea. You were a puzzle. But now you're a person. And you know me? 
How do you know me? We've not met. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Oh, snap. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see, when Nathanael encounters Jesus, his obstacle, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's not that big a deal anymore. Meaning, when he meets Jesus, understand that God as a category becomes God as an encounter. And what was a puzzle is now a person. I don't really know if Nathaniel ever settled his questions about can anything good come from Nazareth? But we know he became a follower. And he took him with him. And over time, eventually, it got taken care of. But I love the fact that he went to Jesus. He decided to come and see. And slowly his questions, his doubts, his obstacle, his struggle, it got smaller. Happens over and over and over in the gospel accounts. I could retell this a million different ways. I want you to know the reason I tell this is the same thing can work for you. I want you to know I have been praying for you. That that would be the case. You have valid questions. You have doubts. You have challenges. You've got concerns. You've got the obstacles. They're valid, legit, to the point where I know some of you with your concerns, it makes you emotional. I get it. For some of you, like, like it's not just about emotional. It's Some of you, it's about intelligence. Understand that I get it. Also, I understand that there is a portion of people that claim to be followers of Jesus and might be followers of Jesus, but let me tell you what's happened to them. Their questions, their obstacles, their concerns have grown in the last few years, and let me tell you why. They distanced themselves from the local church, the bride of Christ. And you know what's happened? Whether or not they watch online, whether or not they listen, over time they've convinced themselves there's reasons just to stay home. There's reasons to miss. And the questions begin to climb, the skepticism, the doubts climb, and until something happens, some tragedy, some crisis They start reading the Bible or they actually give it a chance again. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Their questions will climb and they'll continue to keep the way of God, the depth of Jesus at a distance. And let's be honest. For some of you, your obstacle, some of your friends, their concerns, it's just an excuse. Because you recognize if you surrender your life to Jesus, you'll have to change your life. As we close today, I want you to know on behalf of anyone in this room, even Christians that are struggling, I am praying for you. And as we close today, think about this. As Jesus taught truth to clear up the confusion, as Jesus would heal to validate his truth, as Jesus forgave sins because Jesus is God, Jesus would teach and he would encounter critics all the time that would vocalize their obstacles. They would try to trip Jesus, to trick Jesus, to trap Jesus, and to test Jesus. 
Let me show you a conversation as we close. Matthew 22, verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You know, the first part of the conversation, the Old Testament God gave us? Of all those, which one is the greatest? Jesus replied, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And in that answer, especially that word, therein lies so many of our issues. Instead of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, can I tell you what we want to do? We want to understand the Lord our God with all our heart, and then we'll love it. It doesn't work that way. It starts with an introduction. Come and see. It continues with an encounter where you get to know what he taught, why he healed, how he could forgive, the fact that he's God. And then it leads to love. You know why we love him? Because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And when you recognize that, the only logical response is love. And yes, Jesus does want you to get all your questions answered. But can I tell you this? He wants you to know him and love him more than he wants you to get your questions answered. And as you know him, as you get to love him, what happens to the questions? They may go away, they may not. But they do get smaller and they get less significant. And to be honest, you're probably surrounded by a bunch of people in this room that are on the journey to follow Jesus and they've brought their questions with them. If we're intellectually honest. Can we pray for a minute with heads bowed and eyes closed? As you sit here quietly, don't check out, stay engaged. Would you consider talking quietly to God right now? If you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you're struggling, you've got obstacles that are valid, legit, concerns, problems, and it's a hindrance. Could you pray something like this? Heavenly Father, I want to know you. I realize I want to know all the answers to all my questions. But even if I got all my questions answered, I still wouldn't know you. There'd still be distance between me and you. So if you can be known. Since you can be known. Since you went to great lengths to be known, I want to know you. Please make yourself known to me as I continue to move in your direction. I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. I want to love you more than I want to know the answers to all my questions. Father, today, please encourage us. Remind us it's okay to be intellectually honest. I pray for those struggling that genuinely they would take a step of faith in the direction of Jesus. Remind them that they can carry 
the questions they've got. They can carry the concerns they've got. They can take them with them on the journey. And I pray this today in Jesus' name.